0: Hey everybody it's tanya Adleta back with recovering church girls and i have with me today sarai johnson first of all hi sarai hi i am so excited to have this conversation and once again it's been another one of those things where like oh we better hurry up and press record because we're already like halfway through the conversation and everybody else is missing out <laughs> <laughs> so having said that I'm really excited to continue this conversation with you and, you know, kind of open the doors for everyone else to be a part of it as well, uh, because you've got a very um, specific, shall I say, perspective on this because you've lived it. And as a speaker, an author, and a coach yourself, it's not just the idea of like, yeah, I've been here, but also I know how I moved along the path and I am in a position that I can help others do the same. And I think that's so important because sometimes when we're in it, we can't see beyond where we are. And so to be able to get that perspective and you know, those are uh, different steps in the journey to be able to really help each other and build this community out of the whole experience. So I'm excited to see where this goes.
1: Me too. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, okay, let's just jump right in. Uh, who are you? And more curiosity, who were
1: you? Ooh, okay. Well, currently I am sarai johnson and that is how i go (laughs) through life um it's actually funny one of the things that i work on a lot and talk about a lot is um taking off masks and sort of the way that masks screen us from having to truly interact with other people uh and one of the masks that we generally tend to wear a lot in society and in culture is the mask of like this is my job title and this is where i work and like this is why i'm so important so um so yeah, I do a lot of different things, <laughs> but, but I like to just go by, I'm Sri Johnson. Um, I do help audacious souls to bring their sacred work into the world without burning out or selling out. So that's kind of one aspect of what I do. Um, but ultimately what I am is a person who's come up through a religious tradition to learn how to um, create my own path from there. Um, and so that's what I'm about when i was young i used to say i was raised at church because i went there so much <laughs> i was at you church too, huh? <laughs> yeah every day like the normal way to say it is i was raised in church as you probably know but i was just there a lot um, and i remember very distinctly being 3 years old and sitting on my parents orange like basically corduroy couch <laughs> saying the prayer of salvation um, as a little kid and, and honestly having a very real relationship with God, um, throughout my whole entire childhood, like God was very real to me. Um, my spirituality was truly very important to me in my life. And, uh, I'm grateful for that. I think that's, that was a really important thing for me as a child and as a person to become who I am today. Um, and the things that I got from specific evangelical teachings, things that were oppressive to women or to anyone that's not a let's just be honest dude um slash white dude mostly uh i I think that a lot of that was really damaging and challenging to me and i I played out a lot of interesting psychodramas about it throughout my <laughs> adult life um but yeah, ultimately, at the bottom line what i what I got from that is um A real and true connection to spirituality and to myself, um, ultimately, although I didn't Mm -hmm. know that for a really, really long time.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to see what this trajectory was like for you because I feel like for so many of us who chose to leave the church at some point in time, there was a bit, um, and forgive the, the biblical expression here, but there was a bit of a wilderness experience for so many of us as we just kind of shut down spiritually because we knew that something in what we were taught to believe didn't resonate with us and we didn't know how to separate the God that we still knew that we still loved and still wanted to have a connection with and separate that from either the culture or the toxicity or the patriarchy or, you know, fill in the blank for all the other grievances that that we may have experienced. So that's definitely something I, I would love to hear more about for you personally. But to set the stage for that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what your experience was like in the church and where you encountered some of these negative experiences along in your childhood and young adulthood as well?
1: Sure. A couple years ago, I went through a huge change in my life um, through a lot of different in like basically every area. Uh, And while I was doing that, I wrote a book called Letters to Boys, which then I later unpublished because it was one of those things that I was like, I was writing it while I was still in the second act. And so Mm -hmm. writing it itself was a cathartic and important experience for me. And it was really in that writing that I found like, what are the pieces that I've carried forward that are now leading me into this like repetitive cycle of, Um, abusive relationships and, you know, allowing, allowing myself to be lost um, Mm. in all of those relationships that I was having. So um, yeah, I grew up, Really, really active in the church when I was in when I started fourth grade. My mom told me, I think honestly, on the first day of school that I was going to be homeschooled now. And so, my friend came to walk to school with me, and I was still like sitting around in my jammies watching Bugs Bunny. And she's like, Wait, aren't you coming to school? And I was like, I'm homeschooled now, <laughs> which at the moment <laughs> I was like, Yeah, I get to watch cartoons. This is awesome. Um, but it was a really weird experience for the first few years. We were pretty isolated, um, and I really only had my church friends. Uh, which was, I think, one of the main reasons why I loved church so much because I was a really social child. Like I was really shy, but I was also, and very, very terrified of authority because my parents were pretty, um, I mean, they weren't like mean people, but they were very serious about like talking back, which is my main trait as a person. (laughs) They did not like that about me at all. So they tried really hard to discipline it out of me. And unfortunately for them, it just could never happen. And in fact, my name, Sarai, means argumentative and contentious. So I'm just like living up to this thing that well, I now see.
0: Think. There's a certain amount of irony there where yeah, there's a part of me that's kind of like, Well, what did you expect if that's what you named her?
1: <laughs> well, they didn't name me that. They named me Sarah with no H. Um, and my last name was Isaacson. So and oh, gosh, I happen to be fun. born. Yeah, so I was like, um, my whole cohort of of girls my age were all named Sarah, practically. Like Sarah or Katie. So
0: it was just that. Okay, so this is so fun. (laughs) So this is something that you chose as part of your identity.
1: Yeah, yeah. And a little bit accidentally. So it was um, when I was in college and sending emails, I just shortened the fact that I had to be called Sarah I my whole life to Sarah I. And that's what people called me in college and beyond. Um, And when I got married, my now ex-husband's last name is Johnson. And he really wanted me to take his last. I was like, you care about this more than I do. So whatever. But I'm not going to be Sarah Johnson because I'd like rather die. (laughs) Cause you know, like being named Sarah is bad enough, but like Sarah Johnson, like, come on, I'm sorry to all the Sarah Johnsons out there, but you know, I'm, I'm right. Like, there are a lot of you. So, so I was like, well, I could just take this nickname that I've had for a long time, but what does it mean? And I looked it up and I'm like, yeah, argumentative and contentious. Like that's a hundred percent me.
0: I love it. That is yeah. so much fun.
1: I think so too. And it was actually like a really important identity piece for me because I never, never related to the name Sarah. Like I was Mm. I would do anything I could do in any context to not be known as that, just because it didn't feel like me at all. So even in like fifth grade, I was at vacation Bible school (laughs) and my my name there was another girl named Sarah in there, and I was like, I'm not gonna be Sarah I this week. Like I hate that. I hate being Sarah I. So just call me weirdo. Like all my stuff from that vacation Bible school year had weirdo on it. And it was like the best thing ever for me.
0: That's awesome. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love it. Well, it's <laughs> such an interesting piece. I know, you know, we kind of like rabbit trailed into this, but I think the idea of identity, especially for Christ- for Christian women, um, but more specifically like the women growing up in the church, whether you identify as Christian or not, you know, a lot of times we don't really have a choice in that choosing to identify in this piece. And yet it becomes a part of the fabric of who we are. And a lot of times it might not be exactly what we want or what we would choose now. So I love this idea of being able to to be very intentional about how you're called and, you know, owning that piece and, and not just, you know, going along with, well, this is what I was named or whatever the case might be. That is really yeah. fun.
1: It is fun. I like it a lot. And I, I do think it's exactly that. I mean, it's important because it allowed me to basically say like, okay, this is the shape that I am. And this is the space I take up. And like, yes, I'm changing my name. And I know you all think that's weird, but just call me Sarai now. <laughs> and everyone, you know, the pe- I still have some people from my life at that time who refuse to call me Sarai, including my ex-husband, which is one of honestly one of the reasons why he does call me Sarai now, by the way, now that we're divorced. <laughs> but, um, But it was a really big thing for me because I was like, this is my, this is my identity. This is who I am, Mm -hmm. which is one thing that I like very, very clearly resonate with, um, where it comes to transgender rights and people's ability to self-identify who they are and to express that in the world and Mm -hmm. to be respected that way. And I think there's a lot of discomfort or backlash around new pronouns or a different name that it's none of our business to say like who somebody is and what they should be called. Like if somebody says, call me this, call them that. If they say, call me, I'm a rainbow unicorn, then their name is now rainbow fucking unicorn. Like, yep. that's good. Go for it, rainbow unicorn. It's be you. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Because really, you know, what's tease that out to the nth degree. What kind of difference or imposition or injustice does that do to you, you know, John Q. Public? Mm, none. Right. So, really you know whereas the the simplest form of simply acknowledging who they are and who we each choose to be and how we show up that could mean so much to that person and this is regardless of you know gender or influence of any kind shape or form but just this idea of when you are seen for who you are and who you are choosing to identify with It is a game changer for that person's ability to stand in that power and to be all them, Because they're seen in that space. And I feel like there's just, there's so much good that we can do in the world by simply acknowledging each other. That's why I love, I remember growing up, and I would imagine this was a similar situation for you, that anything that was considered new age was, like, thrown in this big, huge box and closed and labeled. And, you know, the chain link is, like, wrapped around it with a big old padlock. Don't touch (laughs) this box. Yes. But when I first found out that namaste simply means the God in me honors the God in you, like there was so much that just lit up for me in that idea. And I feel like that very much comes down to this conversation as well. You know, regardless of what your name was given to you at birth or what you choose to be named now, the God in me honors the God in you. And isn't that the piece that we're really all striving for?
1: Yeah, I love that. I just sidebar on this. Um, I It's so funny that you mentioned that thing about new age because like new age just included so much stuff, including Namaste, including like these ancient traditions that predate Christianity by thousands and thousands right? of it's, you know, but who are we to say what's, what's, uh, what's new age and what's not. So it's so funny. Yeah, it is. It
0: is kind of ironic. And I think especially the more that I've developed in my own personal journey outside of the context of the church, there are so many things that I find that I'm like, hmm, This is all the same thing. Like, there are slight differences in maybe the nuance or the words that are used, but the idea still is the same, that I have a direct connection with God, with source, with universe, with spirit, and that that's an aspect of who I am just as much of it as it is an external thing as well. So, you know, I know I'm going like a little woo-woo here, um, but you guys know that that's just kind of what I do anyway. I I think I've decided that I'm like a woo and a half. I'm not all the way woo-woo, but I'm like a woo and a half. So, yeah. Anyway, a woo-woo. Yeah, a woo-woo. There we go. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I recently realized I was a little too woo-woo for like wonky people. And I'm also too wonky for most woo-woo people. So I'm a wonk. So maybe you might be some combination (laughs) of some of those things too. There
0: we go. So, how did you become a wonk? Like, what was your journey stepping outside of the organized religion? and, And what did that look like for you?
1: Oh, it's so, so juicy. Okay. So I was, uh, as I mentioned, I was homeschooled. Um, and by the time I started homeschool, uh, my other siblings were just either starting school or like too young for it. So I was four years older than my next oldest sibling. And there were four of us all together. Um, what happened was that my mom had four kids and she was alone with us all the time, and, which sounds, as I say it out loud, I'm like, Oh, that sounds so hard. Um, <laughs> And it probably was. She had a lot of migraines, I remember. <laughs> but when I was um, young, they would give me assignments. My parents would say like, okay, read this and then write a report about it. Read this and write a report about it. And then they um, they would you know, give me feedback. And and a lot of it was about me shaping my opinions and conclusions about things on my own. And then being told like, no, this is the right way to think about it because this mm. is the like conservative Christian way. And I also, like, grew up, I mean, just to give you a sense, like, we were so, so conservative Republican as well as evangelical Christian. So we, I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh every day for, like, 10 Me years.
0: Too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so that theme song, I'm still just like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I finally kind of had this this moment uh, with my parents. I'm like, by the way, have you ever thought about the word feminazi? And yeah. And really just really consider that for a second because what you're saying when you say feminazi or even you listen to someone else who says it is that you are agreeing either complicitly or not that a feminist who believes simply that women are equal to men has the same equivalent of a Nazi. Now Mm -hmm. I know you guys and I know what you actually think and believe and that doesn't jive with me. So I'm just curious, you know, like, and I, I kind of totally went off and eventually had to come back and, not apologize for what I was saying, but how I said it, because I got a little riled. But sure. that was that was a huge thing for me. So when you talk about being homeschooled, and you talk about like you know, rush was was my civics class. You know, yeah, it was like because totally. I was I was homeschooled my freshman through my junior year in college. Public school mm. up through eighth homeschool ninth through 11th and then a teensy tiny little private Christian school for my high school year because I wanted a quote real high school experience and that was a laugh and a half so that's amazing
1: yeah I went to a homeschool school which was like very also very conservative like our dress code was so funny because they would add stuff every year basically that I did the year before (laughs) that they didn't want people to I love it it was like one of the things was no corduroy like you could not wear corduroy because somehow that was too faddish and I'm like okay I what? guess like a fabric that's been around for ages is now too faddish in the 90s to like wear wow. yeah it's a lot of really weird stuff like that but anyway so I um but at, at the same time I was very involved in church partly because I had extra time Meanwhile, I was also an avid learner, and I knew how to be self-directed in my learning because that's what I had learned through this sort of loosey-goosey homeschooling experience that I had. Um, and I was a, a leader in the church. I, I started leading Bible study when I was probably like 14 or 15 or something like that. And then um, I had also started leading worship with, you know, with a worship team when I was eight, uh, and you know, kind of worked my way up into starting to play the piano for the church and leading full-on leading worship services when I was fifteen or sixteen years old. So I was like really involved, and I went to camp, of course, like all the cool kids do, which was my favorite. And to this day, if I could work at camp for the rest of my life, I would absolutely be there in a heartbeat. So just <laughs> just FYI, I'm like a huge fan of camp. Um, And at camp, I felt that I had received a call into ministry when I was really young. Um, What I really wanted was to be a missionary because it seemed like so cool (laughs) to go travel around. And everybody used to act like, oh, no, don't send me. And I would be like, I'll go. (laughs) I'm ready. Let me do this. Um, But I also really hesitated to go somewhere to change them just because I was like a white person mm-hmm. and I thought that maybe I knew more somehow than them. I Somehow I knew when I was really young that being a white savior and like trotting my culture around into other cultures was the wrong thing to do.
0: That was a, a pretty astute and progressive observation at a young age. I think it's taken a lot of our uh, contemporaries a good 20, 30, 40 years to figure that out.
1: It was so weird. Like I look at it now and I'm like, I don't even know where that came from, honestly, except for that it was probably source or spirit or whoever you want to call it. I mm-hmm. sometimes called, as I was transitioning out of faith, I called it like God or whatever, <laughs> like God, all, or, whatever. All, all it was, God <laughs> or whatever. Um, because I, I, I do think that was important because I, I, again, I'm like an action taker. I'll just go and do stuff. <laughs> and so it's really good for me to just not do that. Um, And so I did go to Christian college, uh, a very tiny Christian college of about 300 people or so when I was there uh, to major in general ministry. So I totally have a general ministry bachelor degree. Um, And it was actually there, like the very first time that I even had a thought that I didn't want to work in a church very specifically, was I was engaged for the second time because in Christian college, you get engaged if you want to make out, I think. And so I was engaged to fiance too. And we both worked at an Applebee's there. It was in McPherson, Kansas. And uh, he hated working there. And I always thought it was weird because I liked it a lot. I thought it was fun. And I liked the people we worked with. And it was honestly like the first time probably in my life that I had friends that weren't Christians already. And, you know, in a way that was tricky because I don't think I knew how to genuinely care for people without trying to change them. Mm. because that was sort of what I was taught to do, you know, evangelicalism is all about sharing the good news, and so I don't feel like I was ever able to just love people for real, like, for who they are, where they are, without wanting somehow to intervene, and, like, bring them into the light, so that was a a place where, like, that I was working through that, I think, Um, but one day, fiance too, was just like, oh, I, hate this place. I hate working with these people. They're, they just do such bad stuff all the time. I can't wait till I can finally just work in a church. And that struck me so hard. Cause I was like, Oh, churches for the people who are already like kind of okay. I guess I don't care about that. <laughs> That's not a place that I even want to be like, what? Mm-hmm. Oh, dang it. I'm in my junior year of college. Like, what? <laughs>
0: like wait a second
1: yeah so let's just like rewind and reconfigure my like entire life path real quick
0: right Um, which I have to say sidebar like I'm I'm really kind of curious about fiance number two if he pursued his desire to work in a church to be with all of the saved people I wonder if maybe he has come to regret that thought process of maybe everybody in the church is just as fucked up as those who are outside of the church maybe
1: Oh, I would imagine. So I, you know, we don't talk that much anymore, but after I wrote that book, I unpublished, I sent it to him and we did have some conversation um, then. So yeah, I mean, he does actually work in a church now, but he has other jobs too. Like he works uh, in in real life as well as in the church. Uh, and he's, you know, just so that I can be really clear about this, he's a great person. <laughs> so it's not like he did anything wrong or that people wanting to work in a church is bad. It's just right. for me, I was like that logic does not compute I am not here for the people who don't need you know saving for right, me absolutely. that was what it was really about at that time
0: Absolutely. I would even go so far as to say like the same thing, even what I just said, like, do I think that all people just simply need people to love them? Yes. Do I think that the people that are in the church are any more inherently wrong than those outside of it? No, not at all. Each Mm -hmm. one of us have our own journey, but I think the philosophy, like the perspective, because I also went to a Christian university and ministry was the big buzzword and you were a class A citizen within this environment if you were going to to go out and do something in the ministry versus if you were just going to, you know, get married or have kids, which that was probably the next highest elevated thing. Yeah. Um, but then if you were just going to go and get like a regular job, then you really, you know, what was the point of that? Unless, of course, you're going to proselytize to all of your coworkers, then mm-hmm. maybe we could accept that as a, a viable option. But I think the the idea, especially, you know, when we were in our early 20s and in those environments it was held out of this idea of when you get a group of Christians together who all love God and they all are all of the same mind, it's going to be utopia. And I think that that's where the wheels start to kind of fall off the wagon.
1: Oh, you are a hundred percent right about that. And I think, you know, the interesting thing is after that year of school, I was a junior, I came home to Oregon uh, to live with my family because I, first of all, I couldn't stop getting engaged apparently. So I'd broken up with <laughs> too, and then like fell in love with someone amazing over the summer. And then like, he was, t- it was this whole thing. And it was like this very exciting drama of relationships or whatever, but I came home. And when I came home, I was really excited to be here because I loved the church I grew up in. And I was really excited to go back there and like be a part of that. And, um, I found it falling apart because they had a different pastor and he um, I don't know the nice, like diplomatic way to say this sucked ass. (laughs) And as a pastor, again, like as a person, he's probably fine. But when I was 21, 22 and like watching this, what I thought was my family Mm -hmm. fall apart and like fight with each other and clearly know that he wasn't doing a good job in his role, but then saying, Well, we all think he sucks, but he's God's man for the pulpit. So Mm -hmm. we just have to go with it. And I was like, are you out of your goddamn mind? And the answer is, (laughs) yeah, (laughs)
0: they are,
1: (laughs) because that's how spiritual abuse works. Is like, Mm -hmm. we're told... Yeah, yeah. Nothing to see here. Everything's like really, really weird. And stuff is going on that no one's really comfortable with. But we're just going to go with it because this is must be what God wants. Mm. Uh, And I think that's a tenet of a lot of evangelicalism is like we are drawn to suffering. Like we just think we need to suffer. The more we suffer, the better off we are because we're just always horrible, creeping worms and God is wonderful and we suck. And there's never enough Mm -hmm. to get us from where God is to where we are. We're backwards from that. And I think that um, watching that happen in my church was one of the first times that I was ever just totally shaken because I felt like, wow, none of these people actually know me at all. They think I'm here to like disrupt things or to, to somehow harm something. I don't even know. It was, it was so bizarre. And I was just 21, 22 years old. And I remember going to the, I was also I was leading worship again. I was like working with the youth group. So I was in the church and this guy, this pastor like didn't even know me at all. And he, <laughs> would, he would see me walk in and he'd say, hi, Sarah. And then my sister would walk in like 10 minutes later and he'd be like, hi, Sarah. And he called her my name every time he saw her, (laughs) which I was like, do you think my parents are that uncreative? Like they would name not only one of their daughters, the most boring name ever. No offense again (laughs) to Sarah's. I'm sorry. You're all princesses, but- also, like my sister, the same name. Come on, dude! Like that was just so messed up. So it was. It's funny to look back on now because I honestly don't even remember like what was the big deal so much, except for that I know that my mom loved the Bible Answer Man, and I was like still really. I don't know if you know him, um, Hank Hanegraaff, and he had a radio show on Christian radio for a long time. He might still. Um, where he was very concerned with, like, right doctrine, right teaching. And my mom was into it. So I was having all these conversations all the time about, like, what doctrine is right, what doctrine is right. And if people are teaching false doctrine, like, just reacting a lot to Mm -hmm.
0: that.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, in the midst of this, I also started uh, at a different Christian college in my hometown, And I went there for one term, but in that one term had this completely life-changing experience. P.S. I totally forgot this other really important part, Tanya.
0: (laughs) What is it? What is it? When I was at
1: my first real Christian college, when I was, I think I was just a freshman or a sophomore, my, one of my professors made this total throwaway comment during an election season. And he's like, well, somebody asked him who he's going to vote for. And he's like, I don't, I don't really talk about that, but I will say that my wife is a Republican, but I'm a Christian. And I was like, what? Ooh, I didn't,
0: that Interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. Partly because I literally had no idea what he meant. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> like, what? Oh, I don't and he know just that would have followed that at age 18, 19 either. Um, yeah. Isn't that interesting? It
1: was. And he said, well, to further explain it, it means that I'm not a Republican because Republican policies are anti-poor people. And I don't think that's what Jesus would be doing. And I was like- Oh, he's right, crap, so that's when I started doing a lot of study, so I went into the Bible and like mapped out all this stuff and i that's when I accidentally started to become a liberal, and it was like very disappointing it. to my parents, like they would have rather I do probably almost anything, my mom especially than like accidentally be become a liberal. liberal, well, it was purposely at a conservative Christian college, that's so I wouldn't awesome. have to be challenged this way so that happened. And then I took one class at this other college I was at called, um, ethics and cross-cultural ministry. And my goodness, like this class completely shattered my belief system in so many different ways, partly because, um, we read this book called the silence by a Japanese author called, uh, named Shushaku Endo and Shushaku Endo, Shushaku Endo. No, it's the other one. Shushaku Endo. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time, okay, that was like two thousand one. so he um he wrote this incredible book about a priest in like sixteenth century Japan experiencing this um heinous torture and recent and uh renouncing his faith and like the ethical questions around this of like is it okay to go into other countries and convert people just because you think you're right and they're wrong, mm-hmm. or is is he really no longer saved? because he renounced his faith to save other people, you know, like these big ethical dilemma questions. And I, I did all this work. All of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, like the whole parable of Jesus, um, talking to the sh- t- that Jesus told about the sheep and the goats and like the goats going to hell and the sheep going to heaven and the sheep being like legitimately surprised, like, Oh, what we are what that's weird. And the goats being like, but we thought we would, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we have this backwards. Like we think we're the sheep. But we're not, we think everybody has to have all these right beliefs and like everything is right, but there's nowhere in the Bible. That's like, if you don't believe this and believe all the exact right points of five points of Calvinism or entire sanctification of Wesleyanism, I'm getting nerdy. So here's the wonky (laughs) part of me coming out. Then, then you don't get into heaven. Well, it turns out like maybe that's not even what it's about at all because all that Jesus ever talks about is your heart. And that's really shocking. Because is it possible to have a heart in the right place if you never heard about Jesus? Like, is it possible to, like, love anybody without the power of God? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And so then I have to find myself in this, like, big I don't know place, Mm. which was really scary a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think the, the, being able to say, I don't know now is a freeing experience, but Mm -hmm. then it was Mm -hmm. terrifying because I was told that this is what it is and now you need to literally go and tell everyone else. And so it becomes in this place of you've got skin in the game because you're now invested into this belief system because you are propagating it. So then Mm -hmm. the question, you know, we never, we never got the freedom to say I don't know. Or to ask the bigger questions that couldn't be answered or at least quieted by some sort of pat answer. Now yeah. Let me ask you this. I'm, I It's amazing to me how much scripture has come back to me during all of these conversations. I, that whole idea of training up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. am like, yep, yep. yep there it way. is. Yep. There <laughs> it is. So you are mentioning this idea of, um, you know, not having to conform to this specific philosophy, the the specific doctrine, that type of a thing. The verse that comes to mind as if I were going to debate you, which is not my intention, but the piece that comes to mind is this idea of Jesus identifying as the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. No man should come to the Father but by me. What do you do with that kind of a verse or that kind of a philosophy in the bigger picture of where we all fit together and where each of us can find our own way to a, a unique individual relationship with God, spirit, source, universe, you know, what yeah. how, What'd you say, God or whatever?
1: <laughs> yeah, God or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, what
0: do you do with stuff like that that's kind of the hanging over pieces of some of our childhood philosophies?
1: Okay, so back then... I had a whole theological construct for it. Um, mm-hmm. I accidentally became a universalist, just like I accidentally became a lib- liberal. <laughs> so I like, it. I I think for me at the time, I was very keyed into the other scripture of work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Nice. And that's what I devoted myself to do. Um, I think what was interesting about it in part was that I <laughs> not only had to... Um, work that out for myself, but also to see it from, a, a place of, yeah. What does, what does Jesus, the salvation of Jesus look like and what, who is it for? And also why do we in the church constantly reject it? Like all we do is just be like, Oh, you can't be saved by your faith, by your works. It's faith alone. You can't do anything to earn your salvation. You can't do anything to buy yourself in. I had a song I wrote. I used to be a songwriter Uh, and had a Christian band and everything. (laughs) And one of the songs I had was called Pay. And it's about that. It's about, Mm -hmm. I never feel like I do enough. Like you keep telling me it's already paid and I keep going back and trying to like work myself into Mm -hmm. this because I could never make sense of the other kind of gaslighting part of evangelicalism that's like, and also your behavior has to be exactly perfect. Mm -hmm. And also we should always feel bad about ourselves, like always. And so, I mean, you go into any church service, I stopped going to church at 24 uh, after I went against my intuition and took a job at this fake school at, (laughs) let me just say, it's a Christian school at a church that was horribly run. I was destroyed. I had my first like huge failure and I was 24. Like I'd never allowed myself to fail before that. And so when I did, it was so traumatizing, Mm. but it also gave me this real severe like church PTSD, so I was, a, I was a teacher of third grade with no support at all, no structure in the school and with kids who had clear emotional behavioral problems that needed more support than I could offer them as one person who was like not a real teacher. <laughs> so there was that. Uh, I also led worship and I also was like the college pastor for like two people.
0: <laughs> oh, and isn't that always the thing? Like, especially in smaller church organizations, the amount of, um, I want to say giving, but I don't feel like that's the right word. But it's this idea that if you're doing one thing in the church, really that's not enough. Mm-hmm. And that's probably far more than what the majority of people are doing. But really, now that you're doing this, could you also take on that? And could you go ahead and do this too? And don't forget that we need you to sign up for the meals delivery. And um, can you go ahead and, and switch with me for worship next week? Because I, I have something coming up and I need you to take over. Yeah. Like what What is that about? What is it? the idea that there really truly is never enough that we could do to be deemed worthy of XYZ, like fill yeah. in the blank. I feel like that was always this catch-22 where, you know, we want you to be perfect. We want you to earn the gold stars, but we're going to keep dangling it out just outside of your reach so mm-hmm. that you keep working to our benefit. And if we leave you in this black hole, eh, it's okay.
1: Yeah, I mean – You're saying, you said it's not really giving and you're right. It's bleeding. It's Mm. us just bleeding out and it's martyrdom. It's enslavement. It's all kinds of things that we don't really want it to be, but that's truly what it is. Like we feel like we literally have to die for something in order to be okay. And that's really sad and damaging. And it keeps us all kind of off balance, which is also beneficial to the leadership structure because they get what they want out of that arrangement. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm not saying that everyone who's leading churches or denominations means to do that, but that it is a script and it's an archetypal pattern. It's something that they are, it's like a groove in the road that just sort of Mm -hmm. keeps people on this track. And it's not because they're evil. It's because that's how structures and systems work if they go unchecked.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. you know. And I would even go so far as to say it's also not necessarily the fault of those who are always volunteering. Yes. Because a lot of times there's not a consciousness that's been developed yet in these situations, either for the servant, I'm using air quotes here, or for the leader, again, air quotes because this whole thing about servant leader, isn't that all supposed to be the same thing? Sidebar, that's a totally different conversation. Yeah. You know, really it's the construct. It's the, it's the systemic continuation of a narrative that I don't know was really ever meant to serve the people at all ever.
1: Right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't at all. That's why, that's why, the construct of separation from God had to be developed. Like that is the core part of religion that I now reject because I, I cannot believe, I cannot believe that some other interloper has to step in between me and source to be able to have me connected to that. And I think, you know, that's part of what makes Christianity untenable to me at this point. Um So fast forward, a whole bunch of stuff happened. I then went back to church after I had a baby. I was in a very unhappy marriage, um, emotionally abusive marriage. And I was kind of like, well, I hate church, but um, I think we should go back because at least when we went to church, husband, you tried harder to be a better person (laughs) and now you just really suck. So (laughs) let's go to church. Maybe that will fix us. It didn't obviously, but um, I went back and I was leading worship again, just sort of like right away. And I love leading worship. Like to this day, honestly, it's one of the most beautiful things because there's something so powerful about uniting people's voices together Mm -hmm. and like leading us, leading a group of people into a deep spiritual experience and connection with, with God. And that is something that I love to facilitate for people and something that I'm building space in my life to do in a different way now, which is really amazing. Like, and it thrills me to think about it because I, I just haven't found an expression for that since I had to leave um, several years ago. So, so I'm leading worship at the church. I was there for about three years. In the meantime, I was meeting with my pastor all the time because, um, I was the worship leader. So we just connected every week and, um, he knew my marriage was on shaky ground slash terrible. Um, my ex-husband and I didn't have sex for like 18 months or something like that. Um, because he was withholding, like it was just the whole thing. Um, no offense, dude, if you listen to this, we've worked it out. We're friends now. It's all good. We love not being married to each other. (laughs) It's just amazing. Um. So, yeah, so I was there, I was, I was kind of doing the thing and I left my job. I was burned out. Uh, I was also martyring myself at my job because my, basically my work ethic was do everything as if I were doing it unto the Lord. Since Mm. we can, since we can randomly quote scripture here, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out. (laughs) This is the right audience for that.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that one, but boy, that explains a lot of the workaholicism and perfectionism that I've got going on.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. It's, I mean, it was a driving thing for me. Like I had to show up and do that. And also it fed my ego in a big way. Cause I felt like I was important and they mattered because I was working hard and like seeing results. Mm-hmm. That's all the, my whole, my whole identity was based on what I could do. I was a worship leader. I was a musician. I was a leader. I was a you know, teacher or whatever. Like I was a, I was the assistant director at Nedco. Like I was important. I was a thing, you know? And mm-hmm. so leaving that job took me years to finally leave because I couldn't figure out who I would be without it. Um, and as soon as I left that job, I like threw myself into doing a whole bunch of stuff at church. Like I was like, let's do a dinner on Wednesday nights for 50 people and I'll cook it and buy all the stuff and do all this. It was so weird. was <laughs> so weird what I was doing. I started leading the youth group. Like I was just doing all the things again, which was funny because like I, it was in a really different place with faith than I had been when I was compelled to do all that stuff to like be okay before, but I think it was more just an identity of working a lot. And I needed some place to put that instead of into my own business somehow. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So then that was in uh, 2014. And then at the very beginning of 2015, I went to a training where we crossed paths, but didn't even know it. I was at (laughs) heroic public speaking in 2015. Um, and I had this incredible week meeting all kinds of amazing people and just feeling really aligned. And I had this moment where I just felt like I was this, all this great gravity around me, just calling back all the pieces of my spirit that had Mm. disappeared in in different places and in different ways. And I had left it all behind in different times. And I was, um, went straight from that training to another one in San Diego. And as I was at the airport, everybody was like, I love your hair, cool shoes. Like it was so funny because I just had like all this energy that was really, mm-hmm. truly attracting people to me. And then I got to San Diego and I, uh, went to eat dinner and I ate a chimichanga <laughs> there's a trigger warning on this part, by the way. So trigger warning, I will be talking about sexual assault. So that's happening. Mm. Anyway, I'm walking down the street in San Diego and this guy's like, Hey, I like your style. And I'm like, cool. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) He's like, no, no. And he just wanted to talk to me. So I ended up hanging out with this person. Long story short, um, I was sexually assaulted by him later in that evening Mm. in a not violent way, but in a, well, it's always violent, but in a quiet, strange way that was, that caused me to freeze and shut down. Mm. And also as it was happening to realize, oh my God, this isn't the first time this has happened. Like Mm. this has happened to me so many different times in my life. And I just didn't know my own agency. And I was never allowed to make myself visible in those times or like to have my boundaries respected. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so revealing to me and it was, really a strange moment that kind of in a way like after that lanced a wound I didn't know I was still carrying with me and like kind of allowed all this stuff to pour out that had happened to me with fiance one in particular and also like other relationships along the way and weird creepy stuff with people using spiritual leverage to try to get me to be with them which Mm -hmm. happened even when I was in high school with like a youth pastor yeah I mean it was just this kind of Theme in my life, and so it was really an important time for me to reconnect in with my body because I also realized then that I was fully numb from the neck down. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't even have any connection with what was going on with intuition, with any part of myself um, besides my brain and my ability to speak things, you know. And so, um, so I went on a journey for that. And as I did that and reconnected in with my body, I also realized that I was um constantly being made smaller and in the presence of my now ex-husband because he uh would yell at me and criticize oh man he just criticized everything all the time nothing was ever good enough such a theme oh my goodness so um yeah so one day I also just kind of quietly was like oh I'm gonna leave this marriage now too But slight rewind, um, after I was sexually assaulted, I had a meeting with my pastor and he had this open door policy when he was meeting with women. He's like, he was kind of being a Mike Pence about things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I need to shut the door to talk to you about something that's really private and I can't have everyone hearing it. And he's like, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm like, well, I'm not comfortable with the secretary and your intern hearing me tell you this thing. So I like open, I like went out the door and I'm like, I'm shutting the door, everyone. Just so you know, we'll be in here by ourselves. Nothing weird is happening. And he's <laughs> like, <"Ugh." laughs> so I sit down and tell him, and he said to me, "This is what he said: Do you want me to punish you? What? Yeah. And then I was like, um, Nope, that's not what I need. I just need you to know that happened. And." Uh, I hadn't even told my husband yet either. And so it was just this really weird moment that um, kind of shook everything up for me. Mm. And shortly after that, like the next time we all talked about it, uh, there was somebody who was a spiritual director there too. And they both advised me not to tell anybody. And I was like, well, that's terrible advice. (laughs) I'm going to tell everybody that I need to tell. I'm not planning on like sitting at the piano and like mentioning it casually, you know, on a Sunday. But but people need to know. They're like, you need to be restored into leadership. So you need to take a break. I'm like, okay, that seems like something you do when someone does something wrong.
0: Right. And being sexually assaulted is it my fault? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I I I am burning up right now and trying. Yeah. Holy
1: crap. And it was it was a really interesting thing to go through, Tanya, because I was like oh, I'm observing this, right? I'm like Mm -hmm. experiencing it and seeing it and just having this real detachment from it. Like not in a bad way, but in not in a, like a dissociative way, but just in a way that I'm like, this is happening for so many reasons. Like Mm -hmm. all of this stuff is a divine appointment in some ways. Like I, um, and then I read this book called Sacred Contracts by Carolyn Mace, which completely helped me see a lot of things that I really Mm -hmm. needed to see. And So I I just sort of was like, well, I just need you guys to know this is very bad advice to give someone who's been experiencing sexual assault. So I just like walked with them through this whole thing to try to help them see. And later the pastor,
0: I mean, like, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I'm like, it is amazing that you were able to. Use your voice in that moment, in that experience to to actually hold up a mirror to them to say, this is not the way you do this. So I'm so grateful for you in that moment that you were able to disassociate enough to be able to see all the moving pieces. Because I feel like even just listening to what you were talking about that night, I was definitely experiencing kind of that trigger effect because, uh, yeah, I've had – Me too. You know, like hashtag me too. Uh, So many of us have had so many similar experiences. And I had a very similar type of moment of going, this has happened to me before. And Mm -hmm. I never realized it for what it was and then when you get to that moment and it's just this flood of emotions and thoughts and so many different layers to everything so to have the sense of power of standing in your own voice and standing in who you are even if you didn't feel all of those layers of connections to yourself in that moment but to be able to hold up that mirror and say no this is this is not the way you do this that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty amazing
1: It, you know, it's really interesting because it was as if that one moment in time when I named the thing that had happened was the moment that I took my power back. Mm. And, you know, we were talking at the very beginning about how powerful names are and how meaningful names are. And when we're able to label something, it can allow us to have that power back. Like I, I didn't know what was happening to me until I finally did. And then when I did, I was like, oh, okay. That's what's happening. Hmm. That helps me to move forward in a way that I wasn't able to move forward before. Um, you know, and I, I wanted them to know so many people experience sexual assault. It's not like I'm the only person I'm like, there are probably, I'd say maybe half of the women in this church Mm -hmm. have had something like this happen to them. So you're going to tell me that it's not okay to talk about that. Mm. It's, absolutely okay to talk about that. And we need to talk about that because it's important for healing to be able to like lay it down and just Mm -hmm. be like, Hey, this happened to me. I've been traumatized by it. I want to heal all those broken places in me that someone else came in and crushed without my permission. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do, especially when you are cloaked in this shame and silence, like it's not something to be ashamed of. And that's why people are able to hold power over us so much is because we are taught to be ashamed Mm -hmm. and we're living in shame and we're, like everything about us is shameful when really we're fucking powerful. Like we absolutely have so much power. We have all the power of God because we are not disconnected from God. Mm. Oh, what? What? <laughs> so anyway, yeah. After that happened, I didn't go to church for a few weeks because I wasn't allowed to. I mean, it could have gone. Mm. They wanted me to come and sit down in the church and go. I didn't want to. This happened in February. And then on Palm Sunday, I was like, I'm going to go to church. And I went to church. And they had an open mic, which was weird. Like that had never, ever happened at my church. As long as I could remember open mic on a Sunday morning and people just got up and talked about stuff. And I was like, hi, everybody. I got up and I talked about stuff and I'm like, I haven't been here for a few weeks. And it's because I was sexually assaulted and this happened. And I just want you to know, like, this happens to a lot of people and it's nothing that I need to be ashamed of. And I feel like God is working in my life through this in some really weird and unexpected ways. Um, and I just wanted you all to know that. And guess what happened? All these people were like, thank you so much for sharing that. That happened to me too. That Mm -hmm. happened to me too. I've never been able to talk about it. Thank you so much for opening that up. I really needed to talk about this with somebody and I've never been able to. Okay. That was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And I never went back after that. I went back one time to have a conversation. The pastor was going on sabbatical and, um, at that point I was getting divorced and, um, I think I was already moved out and everything. And <laughs> I went to talk to them and I'm like, well, yeah, I'd love to come back and lead worship, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. Cause then now I'm going through a divorce. Like they're like, oh no, obviously you can't do that. Right. But, no,
0: no, no. You've got the scarlet letter. Whether yeah. It was either the scarlet letter of victim or the scarlet letter of divorcee. Either yeah. way, you're wearing a scarlet letter. You are no longer worthy of, of yeah. leading worship.
1: Right. I'm like, okay. So here's the deal. Um, that's stupid. And
0: (laughs) I'm like, you know why I'm leaving my marriage? Like we've talked about it for
1: years. Mm. Oh, it to also another thing that pastor had told me once when I first told him about, oh, this is a terrible relationship. This is what it's like. He's like, have you ever thought maybe you're in this marriage for him and not for you? And I'm like, yeah, literally I'm so codependent. That's the only thing I've ever thought.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, How do you think we all got here? (laughs) (laughs) Like.
1: Um, my whole life is about everyone else and not me, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I'm such a good Christian. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. Yeah, it, it never occurred to me until later that I'm like, I think somewhere along the lines, all those gold stars that I was trying to rack up as a Christian really translated into how codependent can I possibly be? Yeah. And, you know, I'm just going, yeah, in retrospect, that's probably not that healthy. Yeah, It's
1: true. It doesn't have to be like that, but man, it's just the way we've designed it. It's really amazing. Yeah. So I um, was on a hike shortly after this happened and I was walking by a creek. I'm going to go there this afternoon. Actually, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, And while I was on this hike, I was um, walking down this part of the path that I have always loved. It's my favorite place. It's called Fall Creek. It's kind of nearby where I, I grew up. And there's this place on the path that looks like Bowers, like it's a wedding spot. And I always thought like, oh, it'd be so cool to get married here. And so I was like, I'm gonna remarry myself in all of my different roles and like all of my different facets that I've rejected and hidden away for so long. Mm. So I said all these beautiful vows as I was walking and like married myself and married all the pieces of myself and like vowed to myself to, to be there for myself. And to not hide away the pieces I didn't want to see anymore. And um, then I was walking along and I suddenly had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I'm not a Christian. Like I haven't been a Christian for (laughs) 10 years. (laughs) I like didn't know that because not only was I like a universalist, but I also fully reject the idea of original sin. Like Absolutely. Do not believe that humans are born evil at all. Like, I just think that's such a gross and damaging philosophy. And I think I came to it when I was pregnant, probably that like, Mm. is it really like I'm going to give birth to this terrible evil being that needs to Mm. be whipped into shape and like, say the right prayer? Like, no, obviously not. Of course not this is a pure soul. Like this is a being that will have flaws. Like we all do, but that doesn't make this person separate from God. Mm. And that was when I was like, no one's separate from God. We are all God. We're all one with God. And I just said, we are all God. So this whole thing of Jesus standing up and being like, I am, I am one with God. I'm the son of God. I don't feel like he, maybe this is, I'm just going to go ahead and rip apart scriptures. And so if you're into it, everyone, please don't have a heart attack. I just don't believe that's an exclusive thing. I don't mm. think that when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the light, no one gets to the father except through me. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means we all are the way, the truth and the light. And the way to find source is through ourselves. It's through mm. descent. It's We spend all this time like trying to transcend and live up here in the spirit realm when really a lot of it is just descending into the body. I never ever knew who I was or could hold on to my power until I went in. To the body and started connecting in with my root and with mm-hmm. my you know with my creativity with my power center of will with my heart and receiving learning to receive love instead of only giving aka bleeding it out mm-hmm. it's it's all about the the duality it and like rejecting the duality because that duality is a lie that our bodies are bad like that whole I've gotta say like my the apostle Paul is basically my arch nemesis because mm-hmm. his theology I my is body so a bad. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's gross, everybody. Hey, guess what? Your body's fucking amazing. Like mm-hmm. be in it, be yeah. in it, like love it and be with it and like feel all of the parts of it and stop being so afraid of it mm-hmm. because that's where we're liberated. <sighs> There's my sermon for the day. Oh, oh I was just going to oh. say,
0: I'm ready to like, you know, start, amen sister, preach it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how much I, agree with you. And also that I love seeing this because even just, you know, listening to your voice, but I also get the pleasure of being able to see you in this conversation as well. And there is such a connection to what you're saying. And for me personally, I found that that peace connecting to my body I had no idea, and to be quite honest, I still have not yet identified at what point in time I left my body, yeah. but I've been in a process mm-hmm. of coming back to it for the last couple of years, but I think I was pretty much absent for a good, let's call it probably 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of unpacking to do there. There's a lot of healing to do there, and even just to the point of you know ending up with chronic sickness and chronic fatigue yes. and all the rest of it, not feeling like I was on the same team with my body. It was always yeah. this idea of, well, my body has betrayed me. Mm-hmm. Not, Never forget, you know, the idea that maybe I've overextended myself or, again, in my codependent nature that I've become a martyr and mm-hmm. a victim and, you know, all of the things bleeding all over the place. Heaven forbid that I would take responsibility for that and mm-hmm. that maybe that's not the way my body was designed to be. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so many layers. And I really did find, I agree with you wholeheartedly, that it's when we take the time to isolate ourselves from the day-to-day busyness, from the expectations of other people, to be in nature, to be able to create a space that we can reconnect with all of the pieces of ourselves, including and especially our body. There Mm -hmm. is something magical that happens in that moment that we can't access any other way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's true. It's, I mean, that's just where the magic is. Yeah. Oh, and it's man. beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's, it's beautiful. So I was on that hike and I, after I married myself and had this big like flash of, oh my God, I'm not a Christian. What am I doing? <laughs> and so obvious. It was so funny. Cause it was just like, oh yeah. Okay. Duh. Um, I also rebaptized myself into my own divinity that day too, and just jumped off a rock into this very cold water because it was definitely like <laughs> April or May or something. And it's a mountain stream, so it was super cold. But it was there that, like, I felt, you know, under the water that that symbolic death and resurrection moment. Like, I came out of the water a different person and had left what all I was behind. And it was this complete break and in a, in the best possible way that felt like I was done and complete with a journey. And now I was ready to start a new one. Um, mm. and I did. And I think, you know, there's, there's something to be said for like, yes, the struggle and like the pain of leaving. I couldn't even consciously leave. I had to leave and then later put the label back on it. Mm. You know, 10 years of, I'm still a Christian. I'm still leading worship. I'm still in church and not even in church. Most of that time was really seven years, not in church. So then three back, but, um, all of those are very symbolic numbers too, by the way, just, I was just to just throw that out there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, there's this whole other story. I'll tell you another time cause I'm taking up so much time, but there's well, this no, whole other say, 40 clearly, days and 40 nights thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: We are so not finished with this conversation. So uh, I can tell you already, um, I would love, love, love to have you back because I think there's there's so many layers, not only to each of our individual experiences, but there's also so many layers to the learning that we get by, in retrospect, being able to really step outside of it and see what was happening. I mean, very much to the idea of even identifying the sexual assault. And I would love to say, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and put a placeholder out for this to identify all the places in which the culture and the system, the construct created a world in which that kind of abuse happened and happens more often than what we think. Mm -hmm. And then just as importantly, what we can do to change that and to have that conversation. Because again, I think there's so many there's so many aspects to this idea of our identity, our worth, our value system. You mentioned something before we started recording about the idea of your Protestant work ethic. And I was like, yep, because I I understand that one too. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so all of that to say, um, this has been an amazing conversation and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm already very much looking forward to the next one.
1: Me too. Thank you so much. This has been really, really fun.
0: And it's so funny to me, like how how many different directions we can go and it still fits into the bucket of recovering church girls. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does. Well, healing is a journey. I mean, it's, it really is. It's like first recognizing you've been wounded Mm. and then what do you need to do to, to heal that wound and to let that wound also guide you? I mean, Mm. both of us have been wounded in this way and both of our work is leading us down the path of How do I help other people who are also dealing with this wound? That becomes our sacred work. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing to be able to to do that and um, to take what has harmed us and turn it into something that's life-giving and freeing for ourselves and also for others. And really Mm -hmm. for ourselves first and then other people which in itself is revolutionary.
0: Isn't it though? (laughs) Isn't it though? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, Sarah, thank you so, so much. Uh, And for those of you who are listening, you know what I'm going to say. You know, if you guys want to rate and review and subscribe, that's all fantastic. And it's all very, very much appreciated. But really, the the thing that I value the most in this is the conversation. It's the connection. It's finding ourselves in each other's stories. So if this has resonated with you, I ask that you would let us know that it does and that you would share it with someone else who you think may have had a pretty similar experience and maybe even be able to share your own story in that context as well because it's really That's really what this is all about. There is both an individual piece and a collective piece that comes in owning our stories and being able to share our experiences in that. So share that, share your love, and join us again as we continue in this journey. Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.